Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Today we continue our Sweet Sanity message series, but before we uh, dive into James, we'll be in James chapter 1, verse 19, need to do just a quick team huddle and um, celebrate a, a couple things. One is last weekend, our outreach, community outreach, our trunk or treat, which we were hoping to be a, a welcoming presence to, to our community and have fun together, was just a huge win, and wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who helped out, whether that was giving candy or um, doing a trunk or being part of our refreshment team or welcome team. It was so neat. I, as I was walking around, just the creativity was awesome. I thought we should have done it like um, most creative trunk idea or had some of these, but um, I was just blown away with the beauty of the body of Christ when everybody is just playing their part and pulling on the rope. And it was, you were loving big, and um, hopefully those who came into our, uh, were part of this that were not a part of our church family, just, I know they sensed his love. And maybe you're here today, and you were, um, that was your first exposure to Westbridge, and we just want to welcome you, and, and thank you for being here. So, the, the neat thing about this whole thing, that we've spent, you know, a month or a long time planning this. Abby, planning this thing, we're going to be out on one of these parking lots, well, but what happens at 4 o'clock? Here comes the rain, and it, it was a beautiful weekend until 4 o'clock, so we're praying, Lord, this is a trial. It, remember James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Our trial was the rain at just the time of our, but our team didn't uh, quit on it, flexed with it, Abby, Tyson, uh, Lindsay, Kimmy, it was so neat, and then all the, everyone who was a part of it moved it inside, and looking back on it, that was way better. It was just what we needed, because far better to have our, those who are guests come into the church, actually see our kids' ministry, walk through student ministry, walk through the four-year. It's kind of like when the, your kid goes to school the day before school, just to take some of the, the pain out of going to school. Coming to a new church can be intimidating, but it's like, hey, already been here, and hopefully it was even a more welcoming environment. So just neat. Thank you again to everybody who was a part of that. And um, this se- as we come into Thanksgiving season, just wanted to put a, a spotlight on the reality. I, I sense that uh, th- this Thanksgiving season, a unique opportunity to join God in the formation of humility in our hearts. So this year we've been talking about um, chasing humility and been praying, Lord, would you shape the humility of Christ in me, and what, what we discovered, have discovered, is that humility is a result or an overflow of worship. So as we enter the presence of God, His greatness, we see His greatness, we see His goodness, the natural result is humility. It, it, it's formed in those moments. And as we come into the Thanksgiving season, I, I thought, what a great season to just bask in the greatness and the goodness of our God. And then pray, Lord, as I look at you and as I just live praise and live gratitude and step away from the grumbling and just lock in on who you are and, and fill my days with thank you. And when we gather here at worship on each weekend coming up to Thanksgiving, we just want to overflow with gratitude that out of that too will come a humility, you know? And I, just the vision would be so neat if our, our Thanksgiving Sunday, the culmination is uh, November 20th, two weeks, but what if we just 
there was more gratitude coming out of our hearts than ever before <laughs> that would warm the heart of our Father and, and then shape humility in us. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so pray in that way and excited that part of our worship is giving. And if you're not a Christ follower, this is not for you. You can ignore this, but, but for those of us who are, there's moments throughout our lives we see the cross, we see all that Christ did for us. We just want to give above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings. And so as a church family, our tradition has been the Thanksgiving offering. And this is money that just goes out to bless ministries that are blessing people. And so we have a list of things. The Isaiah 117 House Compassion Ministry for Foster Kids who are in the transition point that provides a safe, loving environment for them. The mental health services, coming through COVID, seeing that mental health tsunami, we reached out to the schools and said, hey, when you have a need of mental health, somebody struggling we want to provide money that will pay for someone's counseling at a local Christ-centered counseling center. And so that's what that provides globally. Bethesda Outreach is an orphanage in South Africa caring for orphans there. I'm still recovering from the AIDS pandemic. And then the uh, orphan transition home with uh, Rich and Sherry Smith is in Guatemala. And they noticed a need where when young people age out of the orphan system, turn 18, they just hit the streets and often into a bad place. And so they're building a home that will help these uh, provide a safe place, but also a, a discipleship place for them to, to grow in their walk with Christ. And so thank you for, for your faithfulness and giving. Just overall, it's, it's overwhelming to support the ministries of our church, but also um, above and beyond in this, this opportunity that we have. All right, well, today as we open to James chapter 1, verse 19, we, we come to a new uh, dimension of our, our faith development. We, James has walked us through how do we follow Jesus through trials, the first, uh, first part of chapter one. Then last week, how do we follow him through and live humbly through temptation? Today we come to soul transformation, or the uh, how do we live a life that's pleasing to God is, is the big question. Um, how do we live like Christ? What? Well, How's that process work, and, uh, and how do we cooperate with God in that? And what he's going to give us are three checkpoints, checkpoints that I hope you can return to, and you can even write them out to the side of your Bible if you want, or, but, but hopefully they'll be helpful to you throughout your life journey to go back to and say, okay, this is a, an important part of the soul transformation process, becoming like Christ. So we'll go ahead and uh, dig in James chapter 1, verse 19. He starts off and he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Coming from a heart of love. He loves these people. And you can feel the urgency where he's like, take note of this. Write this down. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's pausing right there. Someone has said James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. And this is one of those places where you feel it. He's referencing four Proverbs. You can study it out in your Bible, where Solomon has already written a similar thing. But isn't it interesting? He's, and I was thinking about, think about your life. How many regrets could be erased if I had just been quick to listen, like really understand what they're, slow to speak, like hold the email till tomorrow morning before I hit send, <laughs> and slow to become angry. Now, we know angry, anger in Ephesians we see it's an amoral emotion. It, there's, it's not wrong in and of itself. But here he references, or he says, because human anger does not produce 
the righteous life that God desires. So anger, when it's, um, when it's no longer under the control of the Holy Spirit, but under our own desires, that's when it becomes destructive. And it does not produce the righteous life that God desires. So here are the theme of, of how do we live a life that's pleasing to God? That's that righteous life, doing the right thing with the right heart. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. It's the idea of take, take it off immediately. And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And so this first checkpoint is a posture to adopt, and it's the summary of these few verses is this, humbly accept the word planted in you. That, that idea of humble acceptance, rather than being quick to, to speak, um, listen, 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 um, especially as we come to the word of God, and humbly accept this word planted in us. Neat picture in the new covenant. We know one of the, the great gifts of being in the new covenant that Jesus began is he promised, I will put my law in your heart, my word in your heart through the Holy Spirit. We know. And then we also have the written word that, that the Holy Spirit uses as we um, read it and pray it and seek to understand it. And, and here's the beautiful picture. What did he say? Humbly accept the, the word planted in you and here he's referencing, I think, one of the, the most hope-giving metaphors for the Christian life. When we take the Word of God and humbly accept it as good soil wraps itself around a seed, God instills in His Word the creative power that's in a seed through which we see life come. And through the Word of God, the Spirit of, or the uh, the life of Christ, the character of Christ is formed in us as we wrap our, our lives, our, uh, the, the sweet sanity here is, of all the things in my life, the most powerful is the written word of God as I take his word and I understand it, I, I uh, long for it, I, I, I seek to live it, I pray it, I, I as I take his word and I humbly accept it as truth and then live my life based on it, God will do his life-changing, life-transforming work in me, the work that only he can do. And, and so what it does is it creates, I don't know if you're feeling this, but as he's writing this, it creates a longing for it, a, a desire for the word of God because the reality is it is the power. God has invested his power in it. It's why Paul tells young Timothy, preach the word. You know, he's a young pastor. He's like, preach the word, the lagos. It's the word here, lagos, the, the sum total of God's revealed word. Preach it in season and out of season, when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it. Why? Because it's in the word. As we humbly accept it, God does his transforming work in us. It's why the writer of, of Psalms, remember Psalm 119, where he just goes on and on. He can't stop singing about the sweet sanity of of life lived according to the word of God. He says, your word is a light to my path, a lamp to my feet. Jesus, when he comes up out of the temptation, remember what he says as the devil's tempting him with bread. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the, the mouth of God. It, it's, it is everything. For us, um, the sweet sanity is seeing the incredible life-giving power in the word of God. So this week, the image that continued to come to my mind was uh, it sparked when our little white dog, Riley, goes to doing what she does. She's our, our vicious protector. Not really, but, when, uh, she, but she will jump up out of her bed in the middle of the living room, go 
barking and charging at the, uh, the door that leads to the backyard, and she'll hit her brakes like five feet before she gets to the door, go sliding up just in close enough where she doesn't collide with the glass, and then she's just barking, and then she looks back at us like, hey, I got him, and what, she, what did she just get? The squirrels that are in the backyard planting nuts, and this time of year, man, those squirrels are just all over, and Riley's up in arms, and they're planting these nuts, and what gets me is I watch the squirrels plant these seeds. They're doing so under the shadow of these majestic sycamore trees that are just like, wow, who knows how long these trees are there. They just, these, they're just giants of strength, you know? And I see these trees, and how often in Scripture God uses the metaphor of a tree for the, the Christian life. You know, Psalm 1, where, where the person who meditates on the Word of God is like a tree planted by streams of living water. And as we accept the Word of God, what happens? He grows us. He does. It's not us, but, but it's that humble acceptance of it. And we, and as I was looking at those trees yesterday, I, I took a video of it, couldn't resist, but I was just thinking, Lord, see, you can see some of the big sycamores standing strong in that wind, you know, the storms of life, and they're not caving. And, and the prayer is, Lord, I want to be a tree like that, you know? Do you feel that? I want to be a strong tree, a tree that provides shade and shelter for those who you've put under my care, my family and my friends. I want to be that tree, a leader that, that can, you know, stand and, and help other young trees grow up. I want to be a tree that, that doesn't cave, but, but stands strong. I want to be a tree that, that bears fruit. You know, these sycamores, how many seeds do they drop? And so for us in our lives, that we would grow strong to drop the seeds of hope of God's word and the gospel, like Greg Blackman, dude had spine surgery two years ago, and he's still going. It's a tree. I want to be that. How? How do we become strong, like Christ, to live out the mission God's given us? It's by humbly accepting the word of God planted in us. It's waking up every day saying, I want this. I need this. The... Uh, it's treasuring his word, especially when it confronts us in our sin, checks us up in our pride. We don't want to hear it. I know I was thinking about the kings, and it's almost comical when you read back in the history of Israel, and you see the, the kings that were always going astray, and Ahab was one of them. And remember the time, Ahab's, uh, <laughs> he had 400 prophets who would tell him what he wanted to hear. And he was about to go into battle with another king, Jehoshaphat. And Jeho Jehoshaphat's saying, hey, man, don't you have, like, any prophets who are God's prophets? And Ahab's response is, well, I got one, but he's, in, he's locked up, and I hate him. And, it, and the text actually says, I hate him. It's like, why? Because he always tells me what I don't want to hear. <laughs> and it's comical until we realize, oh, baby, that can be me, too, as I come to God's word and don't want to hear it when man, this is what I need to change me, to transform me. Humbly accept the word planted in you. So that's the first checkpoint. The second checkpoint that helps us live a life that's pleasing to God is in verse 22 where he says, therefore, or uh, sorry, down to, yeah, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And so the threat that we face is we think in hearing the word, we're good to go. And so we come to church, we, we have our Bible study or maybe our, our daily meeting with God and we read it, but then we're just like pop onto the next thing or minds are, are distracted, but we think we've, we've done what we need to do. James is uh, just 
put in a spotlight on that threat that we deceive ourselves because the Word of God is meant to change us, you know, and so it has to go to, Lord, how do you want me to live differently now in light of what your Word is just, what you've just said? So he gives us two motivating pictures to help us avoid this threat. The first one there in verse 23, he says, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So this is that um, embarrassing moment when, you know, you're on the big date and you go to the restroom and realize I have broccoli in my teeth. Ah. And so you can fix the problem, but you actually get sidetracked and don't fix the problem. And he's raising that hypothetical, like, we don't want to do that. And when we come to the, the Word of God, and he clearly points us to a to-do, uh, something that needs to change in us. He's, he's challenging us and calling us up out of our complacency to do that, um, do what it says. The second picture that he paints is a positive one where he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so I love this picture. It says, whoever looks intently. So just picture somebody looking really hard into the mirror, like really looking and that's how we look at God's word when we come to it, looking intently. And don't you love where he says, into the perfect law that gives freedom. So it's the idea that God's word is a perfect mirror. It, it reflects back to us just what we need to see, an accurate reflection of the things that need to change. <laughs> and these things aren't to hurt us, but they're to give us freedom, you know, to help us step into the life that God created us to live. And then he's, you see the action, not forgetting, but doing doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So question, how many of us want to experience the blessing of God? And we'd all say, yep, count me in. And James would say, all right, avoid this, this threat of, of thinking that you've done it when you've heard it. Do what it says, do what it says, do what it says. So this is one of the reasons I so appreciate the tool we're using this year called SOAP, the SOAP where we're soaping scripture. The Life Journals, we're out of these, I understand. If you want one, you can let us know and we could order it. But basically, the, the, tool, and the tool is this. We take a scripture, say a chapter, for our daily meeting with God. We read it, and then we write down one verse, and then an observation under that verse, and then an application. How does this truth apply to my life? And then a prayer. Lord, help me live this out. And just love this because it slows us down long enough to really hear what God's saying in his word. I don't know about you, but I struggle with, man, I, if, it, if I'm just reading it, I can be off to the next thing, on to the day, and I never really let it soak in and then change me. I, here's a picture. It can be real simple of my journal. I'm not afraid of you reading my intimate thoughts because I can't read them either. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but this is an example, and so you can see it's pretty short. Just, you know, you can do this in 10, 15 minutes, but the scripture is Isaiah 66 too. You know, that the Lord... Um, shows favor on the, on the humble and the contrite in heart and those who tremble at his word. And then write an observation, an application. Okay, this is what it's going to look like for me today. And then a prayer. Lord, help me live this out. What's helpful about this is, I don't know about you guys, but overwhelmed is what I often get with scripture. Like, where do we start? You know, and, and especially if you've walked with God many years and you're, it's like, what? there's so, James, 52 imperatives. Where do you start? And so we can sometimes just, 
I'm just going to go try to do my best today, versus take a word from God, let it change us, and actually speak to us throughout the day. Soap helps us really allow His word to, to uh, help us hear it, apply it, and then live it out that day. And so, the, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll keep moving. The last checkpoint we see here in, uh, okay, so James, we, we've heard clearly, humbly accept the word of God. That's the first checkpoint. Second checkpoint is do what it says, to which we would raise our hand and say, okay, what, where do we start? What, what should we be doing? And really neat. He answers that question, gives us a great place to start, three dimensions for us to think about in verses 26 and 27. He says, those who consider themselves religious, and speaking of our worship to God, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So pretty strong right there. And he's saying, keep watch over your words would be the realm to think about. How, how am I, as I speak, are my words honoring to my Father in heaven? Am I, am I building up other people around me? How our words are often the one of those areas of respectable sins within the church that we don't, like we just ignore it when actually it means a lot to God. The, uh, and then he says, he goes on and says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. So a life pleasing to him, here it is, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so the second dimension is to serve the vulnerable, and it raises that question, am I caring for the orphan and the widow, the person who is vulnerable in, in my realm of influence? And then the third area is keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the idea of pursuing purity in a world full of temptation, you know, and knowing there's all kinds of temptations coming our way. Last week we looked at them, but it's my passion to pursue purity. When I, I fail to ask forgiveness, get back up and, and go again. So, conclusion, what if, what if, what if we live this out? What, 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 would, what would it look like and what would happen? What could be the result? What if we humbly accept the word of God planted in us and just love that picture of God growing us up? What if we actually do the word? Today, we're maybe there's an area of your life where you've sensed God nudging you, go, 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 do it, and you've been making excuses, maybe gotten discouraged, complacency, whatever it is, but what if today you're like, I'm going for it? <laughs> what if we, we take action, and what if we start in these three realms? We think about our words, we think about those who are vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, and taking action in that realm, and we think about our own personal purity before God, and let that be a passion. What might happen if if we put this into play, and I have a, a very practical answer today, Travis Crane. And so I've asked him to, to come on up, share um, a bit of his life story. He's got to condense this into just a few moments, but uh, his life, a picture of some people putting this into motion. So would you welcome him as he comes? Thank you. Um... Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, John asked that I just come and share and uh, encourage you guys just uh, with my life and kind of what God's done through it. Um, anyone that knows me would tell you that there is a clear 
picture of God having uh, a plan for my life, being faithful. Uh, and it actually starts before I was even born, um, when my mom found out that she was pregnant with me. So I have two older brothers, um, and my, we were very poor. Uh, my parents were addicted to drugs, uh, very heavily so. And uh, when my mom found out that she was pregnant with me, she decided she was going to have an abortion. Um, she decided, I have two kids. I don't have the ability to take care of another one. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. Um, and so she came up with this plan with a friend of hers where they were going to go to an abortion clinic. And thankfully, uh, abortions back then were not as easily accessible as they are today um, because on the day that she was supposed to go, her friend that was supposed to come with her was supposed to pay for the abortion, didn't show up. For whatever reason, I to this day don't know what that reason was, uh, they didn't show up. And so by God's grace, my mom continued with the pregnancy. Um, I was then born into a family, like I said, with two older brothers and ironically enough, one younger brother. Um, we were very poor. Uh, like I said, there were uh, many a times where my brothers and I didn't have, the only thing we ate during the day was what we got at school. We didn't have uh, heat in our house, uh, so winters were really hard. Um, and like I said, a lot of um, my parents' attitude was driven for getting and using drugs. Uh, drugs were a very, drugs, alcohol were, was a very big part of our life. And so with that came a lot of abuse. Um, and for myself and for my brothers and, and probably the most, the one that I can remember the most distinctly was when I was about, I was seven years old. It was on my birthday. It was on my seventh birthday. And for whatever reason, I was upset uh, for not getting something or not being able to do something. Who knows when you're seven? But um, whatever it was, is it set my dad off in a firestorm. And I'll never forget this. He just came and he grabbed me up and held me upside down and just hit me for however long until everything from here to here was completely black and blue. And you look at that now and you're like, wow, that's crazy. But there's also an aspect where everyone around you is dealing with the same thing. So you don't think of it as being abnormal. But... That same year of being seven years old, uh, this is just God's faithfulness. Um, my brothers and I started attending the Wheeler Mission Youth Ministry um, on the east side of Indianapolis. It was a, a program that they had for the kids to come once a week, and um, we all would go on Thursday nights, and they had a, a what they called club, and you would do Bible study, gym, snack, things like that. Well, so my brothers and I were going there, um, and when I turned nine, uh, the uh, young man named Doug Crane started working there. Um, little did I know what God had for uh, our relationship going forward, but when he started, he wasn't even um, at the place, or he was teaching the class that my two older brothers were in. I wasn't supposed to go, but he would always let me come along and do whatever they were doing. And so from that, we started building a relationship. And then when I turned 11, uh, we went to camp uh, down here south of Bloomington. And when I was 11, I remember my now adopted dad would always just kind of talk to me about giving my life to Christ. And I'm like, yeah, that's for you, man. I'll come for the fun stuff. But that just, even in that aspect, it's easy for you to say, look at what your life was versus what my life is. But I remember when I was 11 years old, we went to camp and it was the last night of camp. We watched the uh, Left Behind movie. And I remember just being so afraid that I was going to be left behind. So I went to my dad. And I said, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And I know people think, kids, they don't really know, but at 11 years old, I can tell you emphatically that I knew that I loved Jesus. I knew it. There was no question. Um, even just my thoughts, the way that I acted started to change. 
Well, my uh, dad, who wasn't married at first, he and his now wife, my mom, ended up getting married. And so from the time that I was 11, 12, they started taking me to church uh, every Sunday, getting very involved in my life. Anytime I had something going on at school, they were there. My school wouldn't even call my parents because my parents didn't care what I would do. They would call the cranes because Travis was misbehaving at school. And so um, that kind of continued to the point where they weren't even engaged in my life, but they were bringing me into theirs. They were taking me on their family vacations. I'd never been out of the, the city of Indianapolis until I was 11 or 12 years old. They were um, in, engaging me in their family, bringing me to family vacations, bringing me to family uh, Christmases, Easter's, even when, when my now younger siblings were born. I was involved in that process. And so my adopted parents would come and talk to me about um, coming to live with them and at 13, 14 years old, I was like, eh, I can do whatever I want. You guys are cool and all, but I like kind of doing what I want to do. Um, and they were persistent, but not overly so. Um, they just, they, my dad kind of left it at the point of just saying like, when you're ready, you always have a place. And so kind of fast forward a little bit uh, to maybe my junior, senior year, uh, there was, this was kind of the, the ending point. Um, was I was standing there cooking an egg on the stove and my, and my biological father just comes up and pops me right in the face. And so I called the cranes, they came and got me and that's when they were like, all right, it's probably time for you to just, it's a little bit safer of a situation. You're the only one in school and I'll say this too, is they were very involved in making sure that I graduated high school. No one in my family ever had ever graduated high school before me. And so they were very engaged in making sure that I finished school. So I ended up moving in with them, finishing high school. They're like, okay, now you need to go to college. And I'm like, okay, I'll go to college. So I can, uh, and I'll tell you this, that the high school, I went to tech high school. Um, It's not uh, the most academically prestigious school. And we had 1,500 incoming freshmen, and only 230 of those 1,500 incoming freshmen graduated. I had never written a paper before going to college. They really just move you through the system. So I get to college, and it was a whole new world. I had to work very hard, but God is faithful. He is completely faithful and put people in my life to help me learn and grow at a very quick pace that I was able to not only go to college, but to go to law school. And so, um, when I, but when I was 19 years old, my mom, my biological mom, got cancer, got diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. My brother's lives at this point were all a mess. One's in prison, the other two are drugged out. Um, So I had to come home, take a year off of school. I was still living with the Cranes at this point. Take a year off of school and help kind of care for my mom. Uh, And here's where God's faithfulness continues to to show. So my mom's in, in hospice for six weeks. Three days before she died, we were able to sit down and have a conversation um, about the abortion, about life, uh, or the attempted abortion, I should say, about kind of my brothers and I growing up. And my mom actually gave her life to Christ three days before she died. Um, so God is faithful. So after that situation, um, I spent some time in Africa uh, doing some work. Um, and when I came back from, the, from that summer, my adopted dad, um, we were sitting out on the porch and he said, you've always been a part of our family. We want to do something to make it official. And so they adopted me, and I officially became a crane. So from that, then my adopted mom were sitting. It was just her and I were sitting at home. And she said, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't know, because I'm going back to school at this point, trying to figure out 
what do I want for in my life? Um, and I was like, well, I've always wanted to go to law school. So she said, so go. So I worked really hard, got into law school. Um, and then it's a matter of now that I'm done with law school, what do I want to do with my life? So I kind of prayed through that and took a job as a prosecutor here in Danville, uh, working with the juveniles in this community, because I believe that I'm someone who understands what life is like for a lot of these kids coming through our system. I'm someone who's been there, I've lived it, so you can't, there are so many kids that come through and they say, but you don't know what it's like. I'm like, no, I do know what it's like. I've lived it, I've been there, and there is a better way. And so, um, and now my goal is to one day be uh, the juvenile court judge here, because I believe that it's the path that God has put me on because I have a perspective and a life experience that these kids coming through the system who are going through chins, who are going through delinquencies, they, I believe that if you have someone in their corner, like someone was in my corner, I believe that any of us can make a world of difference in someone's life and change not only their life, but generations to come. So, sorry, that was a little long. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. I, hearing his story, just many levels of, wow, God's grace. But that picture of, of uh, his adoptive parents just being present in his life, doing. And uh, God transforming them through his word and then them taking action and then in that realm of caring for somebody who's vulnerable and what God does. It's awesome, isn't it? Then I look at it and see each one of you and know each of you have a purpose um, good works that God created for us to do as we receive his word, active in doing it, and, uh, and get started in whatever realm he calls us to. So we'll go ahead and stand and uh, be dismissed with prayer. Father, as we leave this place today, it's with hearts full of gratitude for your grace. And thank you for Travis and just uh, his life. And, and just pray blessing over he and his family. And as he continues to, to seek to serve you and live out the 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 mission that you've placed in his life, the good works that you have for him to do. We pray protection and blessing in every way. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here today as we go into our, uh, our week this week. It's with humble but grateful hearts that you've given us your word. Lord, I pray you'd make us hungry for it, thirsty for it, and then give us that boldness to do it. And let us be a, a, a blessing to everybody that you put in our path. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.